Hello, this is Liv Peterson from Starting Up Now. Thanks for joining us today on KMNP Shift. In this podcast, I have the opportunity to interview L. Brian Jenkins, author of No More Nonprofits Moving from Dependency to Sustainability. In this episode, we will introduce you to L. Brian Jenkins, his background and experience in the nonprofit world, the reason he wrote No More Nonprofits, and what impact he hopes to make through this podcast. Take a listen and hope you enjoy KMNP Shift. Hi, Brian Jenkins. How are you doing this morning? Great, great. Very good. Good, good. Um, We're excited to have you on KMNP Shift. Excited to get to know a little bit about you and why you uh, wrote No More Nonprofits. So just tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, um, how you grew up and your mindset kind of going into entrepreneurship and business. I grew up in Waukegan, Illinois, which is a suburb north of Chicago, about 50 miles north. Raised in the in a family that's a black middle class family that still believes in hard work. Prideful family, um, pretty close family, but you know one of those families that is no nonsense. You know, mm. blue collars all the way. <laughs> My dad is a veteran, a marine. You know, our family was pretty close. You know, Waukegan, North Chicago areas, the two you know adjacent communities. But that's where I spent most of my um, youth up until when I graduated from high school, from Waukegan West High School, um, when there was uh, when West was there. So then, after you graduated out of high school, kind of tell us your journey from there mm-hmm. up until you started entrepreneurship. Sure, I'm a proud graduate of the University of Iowa, go Hawkeyes. Went there um, with the intention just to you know go to college and get a job. That was kind of like you know I graduated in 1986. And that was the mindset. You know, when you graduated in the 80s, my my parents had always pushed the idea of go to college and get a good job. The idea of working for myself was never even, I don't think it was ever even mentioned to me, ever. This is back in the 80s. You were either on a, a vocational track or you were um, on the college track. Fortunately, for me, I had parents that, you know, helped me make good choices in the sense they wanted me to have options. If I wanted to go into a vocational track, that's absolutely perfect. That's our background. That's where I came from. But if I got an opportunity to go to college, which neither of them were able to finish, then they wanted that option to be on the on the floor as well. And so that was how I grew up, you know, in the sense of making sure your options are always presented for you so you can make a sound choice, but have those mm-hmm. options in front of you. And I realized even then and now, not everyone has that. Yeah, yeah. So I'm very thankful um you know to my you know to my parents you know who allowed that for me and my sister so after you graduated college how did you transition into you know starting your own business and kind of teaching and teaching others to start their own business and writing books and doing all these things that you're doing now yeah it's it's i i I, unlike most other people did not have some magical business plan. You know, I was actually working for a ministry. At the time, it was in a community, um, well, Humble Park, Logan Square, back in 93. Truth be disclosed is that, you know, I was in the process of dating my wife and they needed someone to teach an entrepreneurship class. These, you know, these youth in the Lawndale community. I honestly was not thinking about any of the kids or any of that (laughs) stuff. It was really just more time to be with her. and it just happened to be in the area of entrepreneurship education. I don't even know if I ever heard the word entrepreneur up to that point. It was purely mm-hmm. romantic interest. And then when I got to the class and you know went through the training, I was blown away by how much I did not know 
and what I was never taught. Mm. And so I was like, man, this is really powerful. If we could educate and, and teach youth, particularly on the west and south sides of Chicago, but any youth in general, but these youth right here, this could be powerful and could be life changing. And that's how I approached it. Yeah. You know, I was like, man, is there a way that, that I could be used? And I'm a spiritual person. You know, I said, Lord, is there a way that I could be used in this field to really make an impact beyond me? And that's how the journey began. You know, I had no plan. I just had a, you know, I just wanted to serve and I had no idea it was going to be in the form of entrepreneurship education. My formal technical background is in, um, you know, I have an undergrad from English and religion from, you know, the University of Iowa. And then I went to grad school at Wheaton College, got a master's in, you know, theological education. I thought I was going to go and get a PhD and be teaching theology classes, you know, at a university or somewhere. So this is a deep departure from the direction that I thought I was going in, but one of the one of the best bunny trails I've ever been on um, in the sense that I've met my wife. We've been, you know, we just celebrated 25 years of marriage this past October and has not been without a lot of pain and sacrifice. My wife, Dr. Janae Jenkins, she has a PhD now. You know, I'm still teaching entrepreneurship. That's the funny part. But without her commitment, without her loyalty to me and to see this process through, I would not be in the position I'm in today. So this journey that I had no plan for, simply just wanting to serve, is how I got into this. But I became good at what I do. And, and that's the one thing I think that all of us, no matter what your industry is, do the best that you can do, be the best that you can be, because you're representing not only you know, who you are, but also those that have come before you, your history, your community. And I also want to make sure we give the best that we can to those that we're also who are looking to us as well. Awesome. So kind of give us a little bit of, of background of how you started Entrenuity and what led you up to that point of starting Entrenuity and what makes it unique as a as a nonprofit? Entrenuity was started because I lost my job. I got fired. My last job that I had was with this organization in 99. And I actually got the call. A buddy of mine said, hey, this call is going to be coming. We are all getting fired from around the country. And he said, what are you going to do? You know, what's, what's going to be next? I didn't feel at that time that I should walk away. I had been in the field of entrepreneurship education at that point for about seven or eight years and was in a primarily training youth um, on the west and south sides of Chicago, you know, several different public schools, after school programs, business camps. I mean, you name it, we taught, you know, and when I say we, it's a team of us that were kind of known around the country, you know, when we were teaching entrepreneurship in every different place and every opportunity we could, extremely motivated by the, the mission and the passion, of, particularly for urban youth who do not have the same economic opportunities as a majority culture. So mm -hmm. this was really, really important for me. And the more I taught, the more I saw the opportunities and what it the, what it could yield itself to be, not in the immediate future always, but also in the long-term future for the youth and their families. You know, when I lost my job, I was really trying to figure out, is this it for me? Or if I was going to go and actually do what I've been training others to do, which was to start their own business. You know, there was no magical plan. It was mm -hmm. just you know, survival. You know, at that time, um, I had a wife, but we had just had our second child. Uh, my son, Bria, was born um, three years before that. Lord. Then Brax was born um, in 1999, about a month before I got fired. 
So really trying to figure out what was next was both a personal decision but um, and how I'm going to take care of my, you know, my family, but at the same time, how I was going to live out what I've been teaching to others for about seven or eight years. Mm. So now you've, you have experience, all this experience, you've worked through all this hardship and entrepreneurship, and now you're at the point where you um, have written this book, No More Nonprofits. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell us, a, why did you decide to write No More Nonprofits? Why do people need to listen to this podcast? Why is this so important for nonprofits or for people mm-hmm. going into business or entrepreneurship? The nonprofit culture um, is changing right in front of us. Um, and one of the things that really has impacted me is I never had access to funding as many other white friends and colleagues did. You know, it was, I just never had that. You know, I always knew I could go out there and teach and earn income for my ability to teach. But at the same time, I just saw that the options were not there in the same capacity for me as they were a lot of my, you know, colleagues. And so this book is written almost as if I'm looking, I mean, it's written to give guidance, you know, from looking back, but also looking forward for those who are in the nonprofit industry or thinking about going into the nonprofit industry to say, it's K-N-O-W, you know, no more. You need to know about the industry that you're getting in, irregardless of your passion. To the best of your ability, you need to be fully aware of what you're walking into. And I think I try to give some tips and tactics and some of my experiences going forward. So someone's at least more fully aware, not only of going into the nonprofit industry, but what's it like to do that as a person of color and some of the potholes that are there, the unspoken truths, the things that someone will never, ever tell you. Um, But if you're going to be in this industry, you need to be aware of what, what it's all about. In the first chapter of your book, you talk about some of the mistakes that you made um, starting up your business. Mm -hmm. And when was kind of the starting point where you realized that you needed to change your Mm -hmm. business or you needed to be, I guess, educated Mm -hmm. about um, no more nonprofits? Yeah, when you're broke, you know, (laughs) you didn't have any money, you know, you're trying to take care of a family. I undervalued how important cash, cash flow is to the business. Cash is the lifeblood of any business. You can have as much passion as you want, um, but without the financial wherewithal for the good and the bad times, you know, it can be very challenging to you as a as an owner, to you as a person. Um, if you have family who are dependent upon you, I mean, there's a lot of things that go into having a strong, you know, a strong foundation to start from. So those are the things that I undervalue, mm. you know, um, and because I, those things were provided for me when I worked for other people. You quickly find out how important everything is, you know, in order to make your business model, whether it's a for-profit or non-profit happen, cash is king. That was not readily available to me, but it does not mean that you quit. And so part of my deal was I knew I could teach. I knew I was pretty good at that, but I had to come up with a model that would work for where I was at not for where somebody else was. And for me, we launched with the intention that I could always fundraise for at least a portion of the classes that needed to be taught from a, you know, from a donor. But I would also go to the client, a school, a ministry, an after school program, whatever it may be. And I would say, well, you know, this 50% can come from 
you know, I got a donor who will put in, you know, 50%, but you as a client, you know, also need to have some skin in the game and put in, you know, 50% or whatever they could. And that model proved to be very effective in the long term. That was what I knew. I, I didn't know the people to go out and ask for cash. I knew that I had a skill and a value proposition that could earn income, um, you know, to the people that believed in the service that I was providing. So when you think about or you talk about like the traditional um, nonprofit that solely relies on fundraising mm-hmm. or they solely rely on that for income, um, what has been your experience with that nonprofit industry model and why does it need to change? Never my model. Um, it was challenging coming from the background that I come from. You know, I grew up in a black middle-class working family in Waukegan. Um, and I remember that I was a part of, gonna be part of this organization, um, this ministry called The Navigators. And came home, told my parents about it. They were all excited. You know, then I turned around, I said, well, dad, you know, tell him I, talk to my dad about this. And he's like, well, sounds like a good job. You know, how much are they gonna pay you? <laughs> and I had to tell him, I said, no, you know, we don't get paid. We have to go and raise support you know, financial support. And he looked at me and as if, you know, what are you talking about? You know, you just got done with college. You know, I just, you know, paid for you to, you know, get a college education and you're asking me for more money to, to for a job that, you know, that you're going to, you know, you're going to essentially be a preacher on campus. You know, what kind of job is that? Mm. And so the cultural, understanding the cultural dynamics of the system of deputizations was new, you know, and and trying to explain that multiple times over and then say, you know, I, can I make a living out of this really didn't work for me, you know. So I've just never been in the position where I like to ask other people to help me. You know, I really wanted to, I've always earned my own, you know, from when I was a kid to cutting grass or doing lawns or washing cars, you know, working, you know, at restaurant, I mean, whatever it was, even in college, I always had a job and I never wanted to be broke. So this was kind of like a, a major shift, not only in a sense for me, but a cultural shift because the people that you're supposed to go raise funds from are typically your family, your network. Well, what happens when your family, your network doesn't have financial resources to get? This model was, I quickly found out, you know, that this model was not going to work. And I was also given guidance from different people to say, hey, who have, who have done this model before, they said, hey, don't pursue this. You know, this is going to be very much of a challenge for you. There are other ways to serve, the, you know, and reach your goals and objectives without having to go through a model that was never meant for you. Yeah. So why is it so important for people to understand the history of the nonprofit as it relates to race and finances and to understand the background? Mm-hmm. Well, in any industry, you should have some knowledge of the industry that you're going into, whether it's tech, whether it's, you know, music. Um, you know, you want to know as much as you can about the industry in a sense of, you know, how was this industry formed? What is this industry's profits that are made? And who are the industry leaders? I I tell people all the time that you want to be aware of the industry, um, you know, the leaders and those things, but you don't have to always be an expert, but at least be aware. Mm -hmm. And for me, when I launched into this, I was not, you know, I did not know anything about the nonprofit industry. I didn't know, for example, I didn't know anything about Carnegie. Um, Andrew Carnegie, who was a Scottish immigrant, Um, I would say mid-1800s, he 
um, is actually, he's a grandfather of the nonprofit industry. He was a steel tycoon um, who came to the U.S. and basically built his fortune. And in one of the ways he wanted to impact society was to get not only, you know, he wanted himself to invest in society, but also get others that were in his network and, and also had his net worth to also take some of their fortune and serve others. Essentially, you know, this was not a common practice. There's a lot of distrust. I mean, just like today, you know, what happens with tax tax dollars? But is there a better way to actually serve people with the money that you actually make? And so um, in 1889, um, Carnegie wrote the Gospel of Wealth, uh, which was really about addressing the distribution of wealth. And, and that essay, um, you know, still is very relevant today, um, kind of essentially, you know, laid out the the markers and the foundations that would basically, you know, cement the direction of the nonprofit industry. And, and when you read, you know, at the end of Carnegie's life, he was actually concerned that he had created a culture of dependency because he was concerned that people were not going to be able to innovate their problems, but they would identify the problem, but then they were looking for somebody to pr- provide the financing to solve that problem. With Entrenuity, you know, we never had the financing. You know, our problem was how do we teach uh, youth, you know, how to start and operate their own businesses. And um, in order to do that, we had to find the funding in order to teach entrepreneurship where we were, you know, we're essentially like teaching consultant to a school or to an organization that value the same things that we value, but the financials were not going to come through taxpayer dollars, you know, as a public school teacher make. So for for me, we had to go out there and find the cash, literally, you know, the, either from a donor or also from the client. And therefore, our model for entrepreneurship was always a little different from, from the sense that we weren't fully dependent upon a donor dollar, but we had to go out there and actually innovate, innovate for me in the sense of finding a donor to, to provide a match grant. And then the client would also provide a match grant, the client being a school, or, you know, in a mosque, after school program, church whoever it may be, but we had to go out there and find the capital to prove that the that the client and the donor valued our service. And you talk about, if, well, if you think about Entrenuity, Entrenuity still is a nonprofit. Absolutely. Um, but what makes Entrenuity different sure. than other nonprofits? And have, has, have you developed this model through time? Like at the mm-hmm. beginning, did you depend more on donor funding and mm-hmm. now has it morphed? Has it changed? Kind sure. of talk to me about that process. Yeah, Entrenuity is a nonprofit, you know, an IRS recognized 501c3. And what makes us different from the very get go is that initially for the first several years, 70% of our revenue came in through fee based services mm-hmm. and about 30% was able to come in through donor giving. So it was very unique. Um, most nonprofits, you know, it's the opposite of that. You know, they're much more dependent upon donor giving, um, taxpayer dollars, you know, grants, those kinds of things, federal, municipal, or state level grants. We never got those. In fact, to this day, we've never received any level of taxpayer dollars. I always had an entrepreneurial mindset in a nonprofit culture. A nonprofit is simply a legal designation, does not mean that's the way that you should think and function. Mm-hmm. Um, since I didn't grow up in the quote unquote nonprofit culture, I didn't know how to think like a traditional nonprofit. I had to go out there and earn it just like anybody else who's, you know, a contractor, 
um, an engineer, um, you know, who is, you know, working on, you know, in their studio, whatever it may be, that's the mindset that I had. And so, you know, I think part of it is for my background, part of it is for my experience, but part of it also is to, if we want to create models that are not dependent upon others, then you need to live that model out yourself. And you need to have some skin in the game because you can better relate to the entrepreneur who's going through the struggles of what it what it means to pay payroll taxes, if, even if you have a staff to pay. You know, what does it mean to pay insurance? What does it mean to pay the bills? I mean, what is it? What's the experience of hanging, you know, on your fingernails? You know, I mean, what does that mean? You know, there's a certain a good German, you know, German word angst. You know, mm-hmm. unless you've experienced that angst and had those sleepless nights and and trying to figure out how you're going to make it. It's hard to convey that and communicate that to others if you haven't done those things yourself. And so for me, you know, this nonprofit culture, I'm a part of it as much as any other organization, you know, 20 plus years in it. But at the same time, my mindset is not that of the typical nonprofit. So in the title of your book, No More Nonprofits, Moving from Dependency to Sustainability, what, what you're saying is not that we need to completely get rid of nonprofits or not have them out there anymore, mm-hmm. but it's just the mindset and the thinking needs to change. Yes. So at the end of reading this book or taking a workshop or listening to this podcast, what do you want others to walk away with? Why do people need to continue to listen to this podcast? I think it's important that you just that you have a level of awareness what the opportunities are in front of you um, and so that you can make a good decision in the sense that if you want to go into this, that you go into it, you know, eyes wide open, Mm -hmm. that you know that there will be challenges, particularly if you're a person of color, um, if you're black, brown, if you're a women entrepreneur or, or leader, there's some things that you learn that someone can teach you. And there's some level that you have to experience for yourself. And so for the person who's maybe, you know, let's say they're 30 years old, you know, and they're considering how to serve, think about, you know, both the nonprofit, but also the for-profit model as well. Then that way you can make, you know, the decision that you made could be based on not just, you know, passion, but it's also based on some real data um, and some education and and also a business plan, you know, a model um, that you've carefully researched so that you know what your options are, what your limitations are, some of those things that you, some things you can only know from a distance, but some of this you have to get down in the weeds, um, be boots on the ground and be able to turn your idea into an invoice, you know, so that what you're bringing to the marketplace is of value to someone other than just yourself. Otherwise, that's just called a hobby. You know, you need to know and be able to find out if this model will serve and meet your goals and objectives. And if it's the nonprofit direction, great. If You know, if it's the for-profit direction, great. But at the same time, I want them to be more aware and cognizant of of what this industry and what this field is all about. Thanks again for joining us today on KMNP Shift, where we discuss the unseen and unspoken barriers you must overcome to do your job. We are always happy to hear from you, so please reach out to us at www.entrenuity.com. Interested in booking a workshop on this content? Email us at info at 
Follow us on all social media channels at Entrenuity. And don't forget to grab a copy of your book, No More Nonprofits Moving from Dependency to Sustainability, available on Amazon. Until next time, this is your host, Liv Peterson with KMNP Shift.